0: Good morning, everybody all across the world, and this is Chris Rivera with Hashtag BKOT. We are on episode number 34, so thank you for taking your time out of your your schedule this morning and joining us. Um, You know, we're always looking to provide useful resources for the accounting community through our guests and thought leaders. And today uh, we have one with 30 years of experience um, and from New York as well. So we have Mark Stone, founder and managing partner of Sales Tax Defense LLC. And what we're gonna talk about today is what every business needs to know about sales and use tax. So Mark, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule and joining us today. So tell us about you and, and how you all got started. Good
1: morning, Chris, thanks for having me this morning. Um, Glad to be here and hopefully educate some of our people watching today what they can do to stay out of trouble with the state. Um, I got my background almost you know 31 years ago, I guess it was, uh, being a New York State sales and use tax auditor, uh, going out and asking businesses for money. Um, I did that for a few years. And then some people say I, I went from the dark side of the forest over to the good side of the forest um, <laughs> and went to work at a couple of different public accounting firms representing people that were being audited and having problems with the state. Uh, along the way, I got my CPA license, got a master's in taxation, taught graduate school at, at CW Post here on Long Island. Um, and for the past 14 years, I've been running a practice here at Sales Tax Defense. Um, all we do is sales tax consulting, whether representing people being on audit or um, better than that, when we get a chance, coming into businesses proactively and warning them about what they should do and what they shouldn't do, that way, if the government ever knocks on their door, um, they don't get a bill. They just get to give the auditor some paperwork, the order goes away, and they get to keep all their money in their checkbook. So that's that's really what I want to talk to people about today is not getting in trouble.
0: Yeah, yeah, especially now with uh, the government having a lot of bills to pay, they're definitely going to be investing and making sure that they're collecting every penny, and so Let's talk about it from the, the business perspective. And so, you know, when, when uh, you're working with a new client, starting a new business and we'll start off with the basics, I mean, sales versus use tax. Uh, from my understanding, it's, they're the same, but it's like, uh, it's, it depends on where they are and different merchants and whether or not it's been paid. So can you kind of detail that out?
1: Sure, so the state calls sales tax two different things. They call it sales tax and they call it use tax, U-S-E. And and one works with the other. So the way it's supposed to work is sales tax is what gets charged to the purchaser by the seller if a transaction is subject to sales tax. You go into a restaurant, they charge you sales tax on the bill. You go to the doctor's office, they don't charge you sales tax because doctors don't charge sales tax in New York. So, but sometimes you buy something on the internet, on Amazon, on however you buy something, a flea market because you paid cash, it doesn't matter how you bought it, but the people don't charge you sales tax when they should have charged you sales tax or at least when you should have paid sales tax. So you walk into a big box retailer and you buy a TV set, they charge you sales tax. You go on the internet and they ship it to you from somewhere out in the West Coast, they don't charge you sales tax. Well, the law says that's not really fair to the big box retailer that's located here in state and they're at a competitive disadvantage. So what the law says is that you, the purchaser, owe a use tax directly to the state government equal to whatever that sales tax should have been but wasn't paid. So it's all supposed to balance out. So that's that's the basic concept between the two. But, But how a business actually approaches it should really be very, very different because there's two different obligations placed on the business. The first is if you're responsible for charging sales tax, you're that restaurant, you're that in-state retailer that, that sells TV sets, you're a contractor who does repairs, you sell cars, you sell artwork, you sell clothing over $110 per article. You have an obligation to actually remit the sales tax to New York state. You don't actually have an obligation to charge the sales tax, which is kind of funny. So if out of the goodness of your heart, you want to pay someone else's taxes, you can go ahead and do that as long as you pay the government. Now, of course, as a business, you don't want to pay someone else's taxes. So the, the most important thing that any business can do is make sure that it's charging sales tax when it's supposed to be charging sales tax, because if they don't charge it and remit it, or at least if they don't remit it, the government's going to come after them, going to bill them the sales tax, and going to bill them interest and penalties on top of the sales tax. So probably the single best thing that a business can do is charge sales tax when it's supposed to charge sales tax, or really make sure that they're the doctor that doesn't have to charge sales tax, or the lawyer that doesn't have to charge sales tax, they're a musician who doesn't charge sales tax. And If you notice with all those three things that I just listed, those are all services. There's nothing there's nothing tangible there. They're not selling pens and pencils. They're not selling computers. They're not selling um, fake prints of Van Gogh, which is what I have hanging on my wall. Not a real Van Gogh, unfortunately. Um, So, you know, really make sure if you're a business that you're charging sales tax on every last dollar that you're supposed to be charging sales tax on. And then, of course, remitting it. Because if you collect the tax and don't remit it, you might go to jail. So we don't want that situation.
0: So if you're you're collecting the tax, yeah, it's not
1: yours. (laughs) Remit it, file a return. And if no money is due because you didn't collect anything that month or that quarter, send them a zero return so they're not looking for you. Um, The the joke that I always make that the government is like a bad ex-girlfriend, you never want to hear from them. So if you can do something, you send them a letter every month, you know, and you never hear back from them. It's a great relationship to have with the government. You don't want to talk to them. They only send bad news. I'm still waiting for my birthday card. I'm 50 years from the government. They haven't sent it yet.
0: So, <laughs> so. Uh, I had a quick question. How does it work okay. with online only businesses, though?
1: Same rules. Um, same. If okay. an online business is located physically, you're a New York company and you only sell through the web. So you're physically here in New York, you need to charge, collect and remit sales tax on all of your New York deliveries, because sales tax is always based upon the point of delivery. And then now there's some new rules since 2018 um, that if you ship into another state, and I'm gonna oversimplify the rules, if you're doing more than $100,000 of business into any other state, so you're a New York company, you just have a website, and people in New Jersey are buying from you, and you ship $100,000 of goods into New Jersey, beginning with the $101,000 of sales, um, you need to start collecting New Jersey sales tax and sending it to New Jersey. It's more or less like a small business exemption under $100,000 per state. Once you exceed 100, from that point forward, you have to follow the rules in another state. So that's how online works. But other than that, it's the same exact rules as physically being in a state. Okay, so
0: simple enough then it, always collect it. Now, what about um, uh, businesses getting this set up with their accountants, right? Um, what are some best practices that the business should be doing or simply just listening to their account and, and, and going about this? What are well, your the,
1: best? The, the most basic best practice that every accountant should be doing for, for every business is filing a sales tax attorney. Um, you'd be surprised how many people don't file sales tax returns. And and the example that I like to always give is that doctor, that radiologist that you go to once every 10 years. Um, And the radiologist doesn't charge sales tax and he properly doesn't charge sales tax. But there's this thing that we mentioned called use tax that if you buy something and you don't have to, and you weren't charged the sales tax, then you have to pay the use tax. So this radiologist, rents a million dollar MRI machine from a company in the Midwest and the company in the Midwest forgets to charge New York sales tax. So now this radiologist owes New York use tax directly to the state because they never paid sales tax. So here's why it's so important to best practice um, to file that sales tax. return. If you don't file that sales tax return and that radiologist gets selected for audit, the government's going to audit him going back six or seven years. If you file an annual zero sales and use tax return, the law says the government can only go back three years. So if you follow some of the math, if the guy's renting a million dollars a year of medical equipment at 8% sales tax in New York, he owes $80,000 a year in sales tax. If the government does a seven year audit on him, eight times seven is going to owe $560,000 in use tax. If they do a three year audit on him, eight times three is $240,000. Still an awful lot of money, but if you give me the choice between paying $560,000 or $240,000, $240,000 is a better number, especially when you're gonna end up doubling the number for interest and penalties, then it's an even bigger difference. So the single best thing you can do is, is file a sales tax return. The, the other thing that, that I call is the basic rule, if you're in a taxable business, You want either the tax or a piece of paper is the best practice. And when I say a piece of paper, an exemption certificate. There's things like a resale certificate, an exempt organization certificate, a capital improvement certificate. Different businesses have different reasons why um, they don't have to charge their customer sales tax. So it's not the business's job to be the sales tax police and ask why your customer is not paying sales tax. It's simply their job to ask the customer for the sales tax. If the customer wants to give them an exemption certificate, as long as it's valid, it's not written out by Bozo the Clown, you know, you're allowed to take that exemption certificate. What you don't wanna do, which a lot of sellers get in trouble for, they get into the business of helping their customers steal. And so you have a jeweler. This was a very big thing for a very long time. And jewelers were selling $10,000 engagement rings. And they were shipping empty boxes to addresses out of state saying there's no New York state sales tax on it because they shipped it out of state. And people were working at, walking out of the jewelry store with a ring in their pocket. And the way New York state caught all of those people, um, because thieves are always greedy, they were shipping the $10,000 rings in the empty boxes uninsured. Because why do you need to put insurance on an empty box? But who in their right mind ships out a $10,000 ring without insurance on it? So that's how all the jewelry stores got caught and people went to jail for it. So, you know, really the advice I want to give everybody is stealing is wrong. Everybody knows that when you cheat on your taxes, you're stealing from the government. But helping someone else steal is stupid. So never help someone else steal. If you're going to steal, at least steal for yourself. Because if you're going to go to jail, go to jail for something you got to benefit out of. Not that someone else got to benefit out of. Or better than that, don't steal at all.
0: Wow. Yeah, no, that's insane. I mean, it, it seems like you're a slick idea, but the they got caught, you know, and in, in, the, in the long run, they always do, you know, no matter what type of criminal action you're doing, you know, you may last for weeks, years, but eventually you get caught and it's just not worth it. And so, but that's great advice as far as the whole, you know, setting everything up. Now, let's take a look at it from the, the, the account's perspective and working with the businesses. And so... Are there any ways that you recommend as far as um, uh, getting their clients, you know, the small businesses to record these transactions better, or um, is this part of their advisory side of the business? How should they go about doing it?
1: Well, the, the, the biggest thing now is, is because of the, as you said, the internet and remote sellers and websites and, and this 2018 change that now makes a lot of small businesses file in many more states and filing is of, of all the different things, the single most important thing, filing, collecting, remitting, like I said. so. But a lot of people don't really have the ability to file sales tax returns in multiple different jurisdictions. You, know, you may know how to do your New York return, you may know how to do your New Jersey return, but you know, if you're filing in 10 different states, and, and that's not so crazy, a business that's doing $3 million a year could absolutely be doing more than $100,000 of business in 10 states and have a requirement to file. And $3 million is not a a, a ginormous business by any chance. There's a lot of family businesses doing $3 million or more a year. So um, with that, you need to have the right tools um, to be able to file those returns. So so one of the things we do is we prepare sales tax returns all over the country for clients. Um, Our largest client, because of state and local jurisdictions, because some some counties make you file separately, not in New York, but elsewhere in the country, that's true. Um, we file about 140 returns for them a month is, is what we do, which if there's only 50 states, you know, figure that, that mm-hmm. Um You can't do that manually. So right. um, we're a certified Avalara partner. Avalara is a big software company that um, we use to prepare sales tax returns because you need a tool to be able to look up an address, see what the tax rate is, be able to put that into the right jurisdiction. And if you're doing that by hand, it can either get extraordinarily expensive with the amount of time that you spend on it, or there's just not enough hours in the day. So really a big part of what accountants need to look at is, is having the right tools in their toolbox to get their job done effectively. So that's a, a big thing that we do is, is try to use the right tools to help our clients.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and now that we're in this whole remote virtual environment, whether you're partially or, or fully virtual, Um, You know, there's a lot of options to where, you know, you have your local staff, you can hire outside of your city and and state nowadays, and even offshore. I, I know you specifically haven't worked with offshore associates, but the clients will come to me and ask about salt taxes, right, and get real specific in their requirements because they can't, you know, find this locally. And they're just like, what do I do? And so there's other options available there. And uh, I mean, what are your thoughts as far as, and is amazing software, but utilizing remote staff, offshore staff going forward?
1: Um, well, I've spent some time at some bigger firms uh, in the course of my career. And I know that they've had great experiences with, with offshore staffing. Um, you know, some of it is, um, and, and a lot of it goes over to Asia has so been my experience with the offshore and those- staffing. And, and, and they're on the flip side of the time, timeline that we're on. So when we're sleeping, they're awake. And when we're awake, they're, they're sleeping. So I've seen a lot of things, you know, at the end of the day, you send them out overseas and you walk in in the morning and it's done. Um, and it's, it's been a really a, a great tool for a lot of accounting firms, um, mm-hmm. either for um, data entry, for tax return preparation, for bookkeeping, for getting things reconciled. Um, and, and a lot of the, the money in accounting actually is in the consulting work. Because um, the client doesn't really want to pay two, three, four hundred dollars an hour to have a staff person do bank reps, um, and you can end up with crazy bills that way. But if you get someone overseas to do it at a much more reasonable billing rate, yeah. and you get a great product back in a faster turnaround time because they're working in effect overnight when we're sleeping, and then you walk in the morning, it's done. You know, the client sent you something five o'clock at night, and you can actually look at it at nine o'clock in the morning and call the client up at 10 o'clock and actually have a, a real discussion with them and add value to that. And they think you worked overnight on it, you know, and, and then they get a bill for a lot less than what it would have cost to have you work on it overnight. Yeah. It's a home run to really make you look like a hero. So there's been some really great, you know, experiences with things overseas. Absolutely.
0: With you and and working with your clients. Um, so I know how, how you start off as an auditor and, and, and going business to business, and then you, started sales tax defense, right? And so um, what, was the, um, what was the main goal here? I know helping out the, your everyday businesses, but in the long run, I mean, were you always virtual or fully virtual or how, how has your business kind of adjusted to this working in this new environment with your clients?
1: Um, well, th- there's been two different things that we experienced. Um, luckily, um, we have a, a lot of space in the office as far as how we're set up. Everybody has their own their own office, um, so we're able to socially distant distance without it really being an issue. Um, and we find that we work much better collaboratively. So you know, we did what was you know the, I'll call it the normal stuff. We wore masks. We sanitized our hands twenty two times a day. Everybody took their temperature when they stood up. Um, you know, everybody signed in, signed out, signed in, signed out. So so if somebody got sick, we could have put us con- contact trays. Um, knock on wood. Um, nobody got sick. So we got lucky with that. We're also a smaller office. Um, we're not sharing elevators or anything like that with people. So it made it a little bit easier for us in that sense.
0: What about your clients too? Were they coming in or were they doing more of a remote meeting? How did that all work out?
1: Um, so I'll say 98 to 99% of our clients, You know, other than one or two people really, um, we went over to completely remote um, Zoom, um, some Microsoft Teams, some WebEx, some of that kind of stuff, but mostly Zoom. Um, we we did have a couple of clients, kind of funny. I mean, in their late seventies, eighties, they wanted no part of you know talking on an iPhone or anything like that. They they had to come in. So, but that was really only one or two percent of our client base. Um, the other thing that we worked with, though, we do a lot of work with the, the government. Um, You know, and and our normal practice before Covid was to meet with auditors and sit down with them. And we have huge boxes of paper and go through different invoices, different general ledgers with them, different things with them. Um, The government is, in my opinion, I'll be careful with my language in my opinion, not efficient at working at home, that they're not set up for it. They don't have the technology for it. some of the government staff, not all of the government staff, some of the government staff is not self-motivated and you leave them home alone without supervisors. Um, stuff simply doesn't get done. And, and we have stuff that, you know, we, we started in, in February of 2020. Um, and we're waiting to hear back from the government on it and, you know, it's more than a year later. Um, and you know, even stuff like, um, I had a, a conference, a, a virtual conference by telephone last week. They're not even up doing video, the government yet. Um, and I needed a copy of the paperwork that the auditor had in front of them. Uh-huh. And it's literally um, a week and I haven't gotten it because the auditor doesn't have a scanner in their house, but they're working remotely. So I understand absolutely the safety issues as far as, you know, you got to work from home. I don't want anyone to get sick. But if, if the government's gonna mandate their people work from home, they gotta get them a scanner, they gotta get them a web camera, they gotta pay for their internet. You gotta, if, if you're gonna tell people to work from home, you gotta give them the tools to work from home. Um, yeah, it seems not, so silly. It's unbelievable. And and if you look at the money they spent in the past year and things, like, you know, how, how much is a, a, a printer scanner box? 99 bucks? Right. <laughs> You know or basic one. Yeah, twenty five dollars for a webcam to plug into your computer. I mean it's 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 not okay what they did. It's really not. Yeah. And and as a taxpayer, I'm very disappointed with you know, yeah. again, they have a right to be safe. I understand that, but but they should have found a way for them to do their work. Yeah. So it's again yeah. It's the right tools in your toolbox. If yeah. if you don't have a scanner, you can't scan. You know, if And you said it yourself, you
0: effectively uh, moved over into this environment and for, with everyone's safety top priority and business kept going on as usual. Right. And so it's just silly how, you know, they're not able to keep up, even though they're instituting all these different rules and practices. So with. Um, and, we
1: did, and, we, and we did what we had to do. We, we, we were closed for the summer of, of, of 2020, more or less, you know, and, and I spent money to get everybody monitors and computers and, you know, at, at their houses. Um, we paid for upgraded access into the office um we ended up bringing our it guy to set up a, a new vpn and you know all the stuff that you need to do we bought the web cameras on every computer now you know it's it's um it's it's like a bad movie with all this stuff but it's that's what happened
0: yeah no i i, I know what you mean and uh, i mean i've been working remotely for four years so this didn't change anything it just all the, my outlets were taken away, so I, I can understand in that aspect, but it, it's a new environment for sure. And and with clients thinking about, you know, creative ways to go about their businesses, they want to go online, web, everyone's on it. And so, but you got to be careful with the with the tax, because if you just turn a blind eye to it, I mean, you're going to get caught. And so, you know, hearing information today from you and how to, you know, kind of organize this and get the best practices as we wind down here, what are your um, final thoughts? Or anything else you, that you that you'd like to say?
1: Yeah, um, you know when they talk about Big Brother watching and to be scared, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist, but Big Brother, Big Big Brother is watching. And when I say that, um, the state government computers are tied into the federal government computers. They compare your state reporting to your federal reporting. Um, if this, if you report to a, a franchise parent or you have a um, a large corporate partner, a lot of that information ends up in the state hands and they use that to compare to um, your reporting. Um, There was a very big project in New York state with collision shops. Um, New York state mandates that all insurance companies report to the state what they pay each insurance collision shop um, separately. So what does New York state do? It takes all the checks from Geico, from State Farm, from Allstate, from farmers, from, from whoever, they add them all up. They see that ABC Collision Shop got $2 million in checks. They look at the tax returns. They reported $1 million in sales. Guess who's going to jail? Yeah, wow. Black and white. So so Big Brother is, is, is really watching. So, you know, make sure you go to the right professional tax advisor um, who has the right tools um, to, to get you. Um, the right product and give you the right advice. You know, it's funny, I was on Facebook in a group yesterday and I saw somebody ask for a recommendation of an accountant and they asked for one, they put in quotes, very affordable to me, which means cheap. And I responded to that post and it was for regular accounting services, which is not what I do. Um, I said, just be careful because you get what you pay for. Um, And you need to find an accountant that has the right tools that uses software, that uses offshore staffing, to keep their right their rates reasonable, but still delivers an A plus product to you. That's really what you need. Because you know what? When you buy garbage, and two years later, four years later, and you say, "Oh, I saved twenty thousand dollars in accounting fees," and the tax auditor gives you a two hundred thousand dollar bill, you didn't save twenty thousand dollars in accounting fees. So really, be careful with that, please.
0: Yeah. No, you're you're spot on. Um, I I. I I've, Myself, too. I sometimes I try to like uh, get a product and and, and, and like, uh, what do you call it? Uh, paper towel. You go cheap with that, but you yeah. end up using more paper towel and more. And the next thing you know, if you were just bought the premium brand for a dollar more, you would not have been wasted using extra t- um, uh,
1: paper towels. There's, there's only charm in my bathroom. There's no stops. I absolutely agree.
0: <laughs> so it, it literally, in, in all different aspects, it's worth it. And, and don't mess around. So, um, Mark, thank you so much for taking time today, joining us and giving us some insight here. I haven't had this yet, so I really appreciate this. And uh, for everyone that took time out of their schedule to join us today, thank you so much. Um, we'll be back soon with more content for you guys. And in the meantime, have, the rest, uh, have a good rest of your week and take care. Mark, again, thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me. This was great. I appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye.